Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Get your advanced PhD in WOW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles. It's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So in the past few decades, there's been a lot of ink spilled about the uh, changing mores in the world of romance in the Western world. A lot of social critics have been sounding the alarm about the hookup culture, uh, the declining rates of marriage, and the rise of cohabitation. And there's often times a lot of the reasons put out there why these shifts are happening is uh, you know changing values in the Western world. Well, my guest today on the podcast has just published a book where he says it's not so much changing values as changing demographics that's underlying the shift in dating and marriage behaviors. His name is John Berger. He's the author of the book Datanomics, How Dating Became a Lopsided Numbers Game. And today on the podcast, we discuss the research that John highlights in his book about how sex ratios, that is the number of men to women or women to men, can affect dating behavior, mating behavior in men and women. It's a really fascinating discussion about dating so if you are in the dating world right now, you're going to find a lot of insights. Even if you're not, you might find some insights as a parent that you've probably seen and you've wondered why, what's going on here. Now you'll understand, maybe have a new way to look at what's, understand what's going on. So without further ado, Datanomics with John Berger. John Berger, welcome to the show. Brett, thanks for having me on. You just published a really interesting book. It's called Datanomics, and it takes a, a really interesting approach to dating and love life and romance and marriage. It takes a, it looks at demo, uh, demographics and almost takes it like an economic approach. And so this led you to these interesting sociological, even uh, Darwinian theories about how sex ratios or demographics can affect... I guess we'll call it mating behavior or dating yeah. behavior. So how, so what are some of these theories about how sex ratios can affect how men and women uh, mate or partner up? Well, so there's been a surprising amount of social science and behavioral science on gender ratios. Um, and actually most of it kind of grew out of, of animal studies, out of zoology. So zoologists who, who've looked at species that are nominally monogamous, or at least monogamous during mating season, one of the things that they found is that the odds of the, of the male abandoning his, fem or his female mate um, tend to rise and fall depending upon the prevailing sex ratio in the mating population. Um, so, 
sociologists and psychologists kind of use the, the animal research to look at human behavior. And what they found is that when men are the ones in oversupply, the whole dating culture is more likely to emphasize monogamy and courtship and romance and marriage rates are higher, that kind of thing. But when women are in oversupply, um, the dating culture does not emphasize monogamy. There's kind of a more freewheeling sexuality. Um, marriage rates go down, divorce rates go up, out-of-wedlock births go up. And basically the whole culture becomes more sexualized because men are in no rush to settle down. Right. So this kind of this is where the economics sort of angle comes in at it, right? So I guess when there's more women available, there's more opportunity for men. Like there's really no reason to settle down and you can cast your wild oats, right? There's more of a you're you're more for men, there's more in their self-interest to do that than to settle down with just one woman. Right. No, exactly. So and and I should I should preface this by saying overall in the US, there are just as many women as men. Um, the, the problem I write about in the book specifically refers to college-educated people. Right. So this is what you mean by the man deficit. Right, right. So, so the, the, obviously the U.S. is not China. We're not India. Um, there isn't like this, this structural imbalance where you actually have more men than women overall because of female infanticide or sex selection or things like that. Uh, overall, you know, our, our numbers are about the same. The problem is that women have been have been attending college at a much higher rate than men, going back, you know, like for the past ten years, it's been four women graduating for every three men. Twenty years ago, it was about five women for every four men. So basically, for millennials, you have about thirty-five percent more female college graduates than male college graduates. And th this might not matter if we were all more open-minded about whom we date and marry, but at the same time this has happened, there's been an increase in what sociologists uh, like to call assortative mating, which is a fancy way of saying we tend to marry our own type. Um, in other words, college grads tend to marry other college grads. And, and, the, and, and people have become more rigid about this over time. You know, the, the odds of a college grad marrying a non-college grad are lower today than at any point over the past 50 years. So for men, this kind of, I guess you could call it classism or closed-mindedness, it doesn't really penalize them because there's such a big oversupply of women. But for women, for college-educated women, it has two effects. One, by limiting their dating pool to only college-educated men, they're making it statistically harder for them to find a match. But, but they're also kind of um, giving those college, college grad men too much leverage. And they're kind of giving them the ability to act badly because these guys know they're in, in high supply. Interesting. High demand. I'm sorry, high demand. High yeah. Demand. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. So, I mean, why have fewer men been going to college? Why have more women been going to college than men? Is it a matter of, is it economics where it's, I mean, men could, um, there's more of a payoff to just go to work right away than to go to college? Or is it just the changing economy? What's going on there? Well, you could talk to, you could interview 10 people on this and you might get, you know, 10 different answers. I'll give you my answer, but I'm going to preface it by saying, yeah, there are other thoughts on this. But I don't think it's the economy 
Um, I, I think this basically boils down to some child development issues, which we all need to focus on more. So if we'd had this conversation in the 50s, the numbers would have essentially been reversed. Um, it would have been about 60 men in college for every 40 women. And obviously, you know, 50 years ago, there were different things going on. The, you know, the college, the school, uh, public school curricula kind of um, uh, advantaged boys and discriminated against girls. And certainly colleges, when it came to admissions, um, were clearly discriminating against female applicants because there was this, this silly embedded idea out there that women only went to college to get their MRS degree. Um, and the, the passage of Title IX in the 70s leveled the playing field, and it made discrimination in, in education illegal. Um, so over time, that leveled the playing field, and, the, and by the early 80s, we got to 50-50 when it comes to college enrollment. Um, so the question is, how do we get from um, equal numbers of men and women attending college in the early 80s to 35% more women than men today? And my argument is that the old discrimination that used to exist um, against women, it kind of obscured a fundamental biological truth. And that is that boys' brains lag about a year behind girls' brains when it comes to intellectual and social maturity. And if, you, if you're a parent, you, we all kind of intuit this and feel this. I mean, if, I, mean my, I have teenage boys and Hopefully they won't listen to this, but maybe they, they probably know it as well. I mean, if you, if you are around teenagers, you kind of know that a 16 or a 17-year-old girl is essentially a young woman, while a 16-year-old boy is still very much a boy. <laughs> and um, and th this comes out in, in, edu in education. And researchers and, and neurologists who've studied this will tell you that... Um, a, the boy of the, the brain of say a ten year old girl um, is close to that of an eleven year old boy when it comes to development and brain development. So the boys are like lagging a year behind the girls, and that's why when it comes to actual schoolwork and college preparation, the girls are better at it. Gotcha. So the more more boys aren't going to college; they're just not ready for it. Right. It, well, they're, they're falling behind in school. So 70% of, of high school valedictorians last year were girls. Girls get better grades. They have fewer behavioral problems when it comes to school. So when it comes to, you know, uh, primary and secondary education, boys are falling behind. And the fact that they're falling behind, one of the consequences is that girls are attending college at a higher rate. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so we, I guess one of the solutions and we'll get to, I guess we probably better talk about at the end is, uh, possibly holding boys back in school. Yes. Right. Yeah. We'll talk more detail about that in a bit, but, um, let's go back to this assortative mating. Cause I think it's interesting. Cause yeah, there, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of writing, uh, ink spilled about this topic that the rich are marrying the rich while the poor are marrying the poor, where there was a time in our country's history where there's a lot more, uh, inter, I guess, cross social, um, yeah. relationships. But I think it's interesting. It wasn't, wasn't that like primarily men who would marry like college educated men who would marry women who didn't have a college education. And I guess, is it like women are, there's something going on there either because we're conditioned socially where there's this tendency not to want to marry quote unquote down. Right. 
Well, I, I think the trend has been that way for both men and women. Oh, it's for both men and women. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so men are less likely to marry down. I, I don't love that. I hate that phrase, but like it's like it's the only way to right, convey right. it. Um, so, so men are less likely to a college educated man is also less likely to marry somebody lacking a college degree compared to fifty years ago. But as I said, that that the man who who is closed-minded about dating, he's not penalized in the same way the woman is because the supply of college-educated women is so great. Right. So, so the, the trend has been the same for men and women in terms of, of, of the, this increase in the sort of mating. Um, it, it just affects the women differently. Gotcha. So um, where are, I mean, you talk about there's pockets in the country where this man deficit is pretty extreme. What are some of those pockets? And maybe you can highlight some of the stories you've heard uh, of, I don't know what you'd want to call it, but just debauchery or just like, you know, uh, men who are just going out and just basically having a great time while it's really hard for women. Yeah. Well, let's start with the geography. So I I have to admit, when I began work on the book, um, I thought my research was going to end up someplace different from where it did. Initially, I assumed what I call the man deficit was some kind of, of a phenomenon unique to big cosmopolitan cities like New York or L.A. Or, or Chicago or London, places like that. What was so interesting was that, that this is not a big city phenomenon. And in fact, the, the man deficit in, say, Montana is bigger than it is in New York City. So, um, and actually, there are lots of rural states where the, the, the dating market is much more lopsided than what you find in, in big cities. So, M- Montana has 52% um, more college grad women than men who are age 22 to 29. Um, Oklahoma, it's 45%. Uh, Texas, 40%. West Virginia, 61%. So, New York State, it's 30%, which is still big, but... Um, you know, what's interesting is that some of these more rural states, the, the, the dating market is even more lopsided when it comes to college-educated people than, than in New York or California. Interesting. Um, so to, to your, your, your question about behavior, uh, um, let me just say from the start that I, I'm, I try hard in the book and when talking about the book not to come across like the morality police. Yeah, I noticed that. You did a good job with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not trying to shame people about their sex lives or say that only men are into the hookup culture or no men want to get married or women can't en- enjoy, you know, enjoy sexual freedoms. I mean, I really, I'm not even endorsing marriage for that matter. So I, I, I you know, I, when I talk, sometimes when I tell these stories, it makes it sound like I'm judging these people for their sex lives, and I'm really not. I'm just trying to explain why the world is the way it is. Sure. So, okay. So, but, but it is clear to me that that in in dating markets where men have all the leverage, um, the men become pickier and they become. Uh, less inclined to settle down and the women sensing that they're at a disadvantage um, 
and I, I don't know whether this is con- conscious or subconscious, but, but the whole dating climate and sexual climate becomes looser because the men are the ones who are essentially making the rules. Um, so, yeah, I interviewed plenty of, of women who felt like they were being used and taken advantage of uh, by, uh, by men who only wanted to sleep with them and then after a date or two, you know, they never heard from them again, um, or from men who kind of felt like, um, you know, they didn't have much success dating-wise in high school or college, and suddenly things are going pretty well for the, for them in their late 20s, and of course they're going to be in no rush to settle down because they finally have a chance to do what they always wanted to do. So I would, I would hear, you know, stories like that. If you want more, you want me to go into more more details. About no, I mean I, I think we get, we get kind of people get the the general idea. Um, I think it's interesting too. You you talk about you go into depth about campuses, colleges, yeah. right? And this was sort of I mean it is sort of controversial. There's all this um, in the past year or so a lot of this uh, a lot of controversy about you know the, some, the rape culture that exists on campuses. And there's uh, I guess there's some folks out there that are making the case that. Because that there are more women on college campuses than men, it's sort of, I don't want to say it promotes it, but it encourages more like looser sexual mores. And then you get something that looks, I don't know if you want to say that it's, that's the rape culture, but it kind of promotes that in a way. Well, I mean, that's my argument. And now that there's been, there's been a ton of research on how sex ratios affect or correlations between gender ratios and rates of sexual assault. And all these studies, what they point to, and it sounds counterintuitive, but what they point to is that um, when men are scarce, um, rates of sexual assault are higher. And it, and it doesn't make sense when, like, why would you, th- why, you know, why would there being fewer men lead to more rapes? But what seems to be happening is that men. Um, value women less and protect them less when women are in an oversupply. You know, and there was a fascinating study that came out of China. Uh, it was done by a, an economist at Columbia University. And she looked at, at crime rates in China as China's overall um, gender ratio among young people began to skew more and more male for, you know, for well-known reasons. Um, and what she found is that... Um, most types of crime, as the population became disproportionately male, most types of crime went up. And that kind of makes sense because men are more prone to criminality. So when it came to property crimes or, or murder or things like that, um, the crime rates went up as, as, as uh, the male population grew in relation to the female population. The only type of major crime where there was a... a um, a significant decline was sexual assault. Um, that so as the as in China as the population became more male, it actually became safer for women when it came to sexual assault. And again, the argument is that that when when men or when women are scarce, men treat them better. And I know it sounds awful in some ways, but that seems to be what the science indicates. It's interesting, and I think it's interesting. I think you'd highlight there's college counselors. Or you know, people on on Canton universities who, who are aware of this research, but they can't talk about it because of Title IX, and that's kind of the the, the gist that I got well, from the well, book. Look, I mean, I, I do think that there's a there's a 
a fundamental awareness that there's a correlate. I mean, not, not everybody, but I, I do think people on college campuses, and I, I quote a, um, a student, like a student counselor, a psychologist at, at NYU, and, and certainly in her, own, in her research, she's aware that there's a correlation between um, increasingly lopsided gender ratios on campus. NYU has 50% more women than men, uh, and the hookup culture. I, now, I don't want to push this too far and say that the hookup culture is the same as the rape culture, sure. because it, it's, it's different. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I think I, I think that the the lopsided gender ratios kind of uh, contribute to similar things. So in with the hookup culture, it it, um, it 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 basically gives men more leverage and allows them to um, uh, to, to de-emphasize commitment in favor of opportunity, so to speak. And then when it comes to rape, I, I do believe that, um, that, you know, I, I had one woman in New York when she was talking, she wasn't talking about sexual assault, but she made a comment that I found, um, uh, prof- you know, moving in some ways. She, she, she told me a lot of men don't view, don't view women as people. Uh, when she was complaining about her dating situation, and I kind of feel that's what's going on when it comes to sexual assault—that that that, that, um, that women have been devalued in some way in the minds of men on these campuses, and that that is contributing to um, to sexual violence on college campuses. Now, I, I'm not like excusing it. I don't think it's inevitable. I do believe if we if colleges, you know, we're, we're a little more. I think colleges should be looking at this topic and investing it, investigating it, and talking about it. And I believe if we focus more attention on it and sh- and and shine the spotlight on it, the behavior would change because that's what happens. I mean, if you unless you talk about it, you're not going to be able to change the behavior. Right. So the idea you kind of made the case that you know by talking about it, maybe you'll have more women decide to go to colleges where there are more men, right? And the- so everything was sort of even out eventually, wasn't that kind right. of right? Well, yeah, I mean that's part of it, but I also think, yeah, it's more than that. So, I mean, the the, the human brain. This is a, a different example, but the sure. human brain is also ha- hardwired to. Uh, we, we have a, we have an extreme panic reflex, and um, we tend to fear the unknown, and that's because the human brain evolved at a time when escaping bad weather or escaping. Um, uh, wild animals or an unfamiliar tribe or something like that. It was in the it was in humans' best interest to, in terms of self-preservation to escape. So we have kind of a uh, an exaggerated panic reflex. Now, so you could, if I wanted to, or somebody could make the argument that racism is kind of hardwired into our brains because we're pre-programmed to fear the unknown. Well. The reality is that we, you know that that you know humans learn, and we have an ability to kind of overcome um, our our kind of natural inclinations. And 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 when it comes to issues of race and ethnicity, I think this is a good example of that. That 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 we don't give in to kind of our worst instincts, and we we learn from them. And I kind of feel like something similar could happen 
on college campuses if we were more upfront and, and kind of confronted the fact that these gender ratios t- do tend to devalue women. So I think it's interesting in the book, you, you talk about the sex demographic problems that are unique to two specific religious groups, uh, Mormons and Jews. First, I mean, why did you, or not just Jews, it's Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews. Let's get specific here. Um, how did you uncover these two? Why, why did you highlight these two groups? Are they just microcosms of that illuminate the general issues that are coming up with uh, skewed sex ratios? Well, this was actually the last chapter I wrote, but it happened to be, it turned out to be my favorite. Um, so, you know, as I was writing and researching the book, I would have people come up to me and people either, people I interviewed for the book or just friends and family who I talked to about the book, they would say things like, well, you know, with the hookup culture and people not getting married in, in, in as great numbers as they used to, couldn't it just be the times have changed? Uh, couldn't it be that, that sexual mores have changed and that's why there's more of a hookup culture? And that argument always irritated me because the thing is sexual mores do not change for no reason. You know, like, the, like there's, the, there seemed to be this, this notion out there that all these kind of social values and, and sexual mores kind of inevitably moved from, from conservative to libertine over time. And I don't agree with that. I think, I think there's always a root cause behind why, why our values, why our mores change. And the reason I began to look at religious groups is because I wanted to see if I could find a religious group that had um, an imbalanced gender ratio um, and I could show that despite the fact that this group was rooted in very conservative values, that, gen- that lopsided gender ratios were affecting marriage or affecting behavior in these communities the same way it affects um, secular people on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Um, so I, I began to look at the at gender ratios within um, religious communities. And one of the things I found is that while um, pretty much all religious groups have slightly more women than men, because men tend to fall away from organized religion at a higher rate, um, Mormons, particularly Mormons in Utah, tend to have a particularly lopsided gender ratio. Uh, one of the studies out there indicated that there are... Um, three Mormon women for every two Mormon men in the state of Utah. It's a little less imbalanced outside of Utah, but, but, um, but in Utah, it's very lopsided. So I began exploring how this affects dating and marriage. And as I was working on it, I actually got a call from a hedge fund manager who wanted to interview me about a job. And I explained that he was a friend of a friend. And I explained to him that I was working on this book. And I told him about the Mormons. And he, he paused and he said, huh, that sounds a lot like the Shadok crisis. And I mean, I'm Jewish, but obviously not Jewish enough because the Shadok crisis refers to a marriage crisis within the, the Orthodox, particularly the ultra-Orthodox um, community um, uh, within you know, the, the ultra-Orthodox. It's a Orthodox Jews are not the majority of Jews in the, in the U.S., but they're a very tight-knit group. Um, and there's a, they have their own marriage crisis. And it, in, in their case, 
it's also because of, of lopsided gender ratios. Although it's not that overall there are more women than men. It's that you have 18-year-old men, 18-year-old women marrying 22-year-old men. And because the orthodox birth rate is so high, each one-year age cohort um, has more people than the one that preceded it. So there are more 18-year-olds than 19-year-olds, more 19-year-olds than 20-year-olds, and so on and so on. So if you have 22-year-old men marrying 18-year-old women, there aren't going to be enough women. I'm sorry, there aren't going to be enough men. Um, and, and that's why you have this imbalance in the Orthodox community. And for both Mormons and Orthodox Jews, this oversupply of women has created problems. It's, it's basically um, created a sense of entitlement among the men, and it's created a sense of competition among the women. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Texas Pete is the sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. Each Texas Pete sauce is packed with a bold, balanced flavor. The signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. Their hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and it's not for the faint of heart. They also got a flavor called Sabor by Texas Pete, adds authentic Mexican flavor. And they also have a dust-dry seasoning that matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. But... The flavor that I've been enjoying lately is the chop sriracha sauce. It's got chili, garlic, and some tropical tangy notes. It's really good. I love putting on my eggs. Texas Pete sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeat.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And you can use promo code podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. That's podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. Check out the Sriracha Cha Sauce. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out, where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. 
Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Rocketmoney.com slash manliness. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities. So sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factor Meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time uh, to to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factor Meals, head to factormeals.com slash manliness50 and use code MANLINESS50 to get 50% off. That's code MANLINESS50 at factormeals.com slash MANLINESS50 to get 50% off. Check it out today, and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, you talked about... So, I mean, I guess because these are, are fairly conservative religious groups, I mean, they're not, they're not, uh, the men aren't uh, having sex all the time. They're probably, I guess they're putting off marriage longer than the norms would, would, would want them to hold off yeah. marriage on. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't get the sense that, you know, that uh, good Mormons in Salt Lake City are spending a lot of time on Tinder uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, or kind of watching explicit rap videos or things like that. Um, so it's not it's not pop culture that's affecting sexual mores in in Utah or in um, in in ultra orthodox neighborhoods in Brooklyn or or other parts of the country. But uh, you did notice some of the behavior that you see that's being that people have noticed that's changed in these two communities amongst women. So the men are you know they're putting off marriage, and I guess the women are getting more competitive. So I guess you talked about in Utah, there's um, a lot of plastic surgery. Amongst women, yeah. So there's there's a, um, a a consumer review site that's kind of like the leading online review site for plastic surgery, and and they did a survey a couple years ago, and they found that on a per capita basis, Salt Lake City leads the nation in breast augmentation. Yeah, uh, which is which is you know to somebody who's not from Utah and who's not. Mormon. I mean, to me, that's like confounding and baffling because the, the idea of Mormons rushing out to get breast augmentation, it, it just doesn't mesh with with what the rest of us think of that community as being so, so... Kind of buttoned down conservative. Right. I mean, it's a... I don't know if there's a way to prove this scientifically, but I do have a sense that... Um, you know, women in Utah are already uh, above average in terms of attractiveness. Right, it's that whole like Swedish descendant yeah, that yeah. came over the pioneers. I don't know. Maybe I'll get in trouble for saying that. Right. <laughs> my, my sense. So, so if if you're, you know, it's already a very competitive uh, marriage market for women. So I just think there's this added pressure on women to. Um, to do everything they can to improve their marriage odds. And, and I spoke to, to, to women, Mormon women in Utah, who were telling me when they go to a singles event, you know, it's, it's very common for there to be twice as many women as men. 
um, which is even worse than the numbers I, I you know, I've um, cited from that Trinity College study. And, uh, and this, this, this effect on women isn't just happen, ha- affecting Mormon women, but you talk about in the Orthodox Jewish community, uh, there's this pressure to lose a lot of weight. And so there's um, eating disorders problems. Yeah, there's eating disorders and plastic surgery. So so we'll start, I mean, the in the ultra-Orthodox community, um, the, typically they're using matchmakers to pair young men and women for marriage. And they're not exactly arranged marriages, but they're kind of guided. You know, I mean, people can say no, obviously, um, and nobody's there are no shotgun weddings. But 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 the tradition is to use matchmakers to kind of pair young men and women for marriage. And one of the expectations for the women is that they will provide a resume, um, which which the men can look over. And 20 years ago, the resume was pretty mundane. It included things like, you know, who your parents are, who your grandparents were. You know, if you, if, if you had a great-grandparent who was a famous rabbi, that would actually improve your odds, your, 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 um, your standing in the marriage market. It actually still does. Um, but, but most, of, most you know, may ask, like, your religious background, things like that, uh, how religious you are and what, what branch of Orthodox Judaism you come from. Nowadays, these resumes, um, in, you know, a lot of the women include glossy glamour photos with the resumes. And one of the questions, or a couple of the questions, the women are expected to answer is not only their own um, dress size or weight, but the, the young men want to know the dress size of their moms, too. And that's because they want to be able to project after she has five or six kids, is she going to be able to keep her figure? Wow. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny in some respects, but it's, it's sickening in, in, in when you think about it because these are not 22 or 23-year-old women who are going through this, which would be bad enough. These are 17- and 18-year-old young women who are expected to appear as marriageable as possible um, at a very young age, when this is when this should not be what they're worried about, and as you said, there is this problem of uh, of anorexia within the Orthodox community, um, and the, the plastic surgery thing is out there as well. So there was a an author, um, uh, a, a woman who wrote a. Uh, she writes a lot of Jewish religious books, and she wrote a column for a Jewish newspaper um, basically urging the parents of young women to invest in plastic surgery in order to, um, to improve their, their daughter's marriage odds. And, I mean, I, I in the book, as you may recall, I, I, I ripped into this author, um, and she was really mad at me after the fact, and she emailed me and called me all sorts of names. And one of her arguments in response was, "Well, I arranged plastic surgery. I arranged nose jobs for a bunch of these girls for free, and wouldn't you know it, some of these 18-year-old girls wound up getting getting married after I got them nose jobs." And like, I'm thinking to myself, like, I mean, it, it, it drives me bonkers that she she thinks this is rationalizing the objectification of, of, of young women, but that seems to be the culture. 
Interesting. I mean, were you, in your research, were you able to uncover, like, are these two groups doing anything to solve this problem? Are they taking proactive steps or are they just like, well, it's just the way it is? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there are definitely components or elements in both communities who realize what's going on. So, so for Mormons, um, you know, I, I don't think you would get any leaders in the church to admit this, but I, I do believe that one of the motivations when they lowered the mission age, um, I think it was, you would know better than me, but yeah. it used to be, used to be 19. Used to be 19. Now, and now it's what, 17 or 18? 18. 18. Um, I, I think what was happening, so, so the, the age in which young men are most likely to become apostates or to leave organized religion is in their late teens and early 20s. And for Mormons, that's a problem because that's the exact time when they, they go on mission. And there's no doubt there are plenty of um, young men who would rather get on with their lives, either education or work, rather than take two years off to do mission. Plus, the mission, as you know, is expensive. I mean, it's the, the missionaries and their families pay for the mission, not the church. Um, so, uh, now, again, you would know better than me, but certainly 30, 40 years ago, I think there was less pressure on, on LDS men to to go on mission. You, you, could, you could skip a mission and um, there wouldn't necessarily be a huge stigma attached to it. It wouldn't be a great thing, but, but you could still have a leadership role in the LDS church if you had not been a missionary. Nowadays, there's a lot of social pressure, as you know, to go on mission. And you'll see Mormon blogs with young women debating whether it's okay to marry or date a non-RM, which is a non-returning missionary. Yeah. Um, in, in this, so this social pressure on the men who forego missions, I think, has has increased the the um, the apostasy rate among men, and be, because if they stay in the church, there's a stigma attached to them, and I think this kind of incentivizes them to leave. But but getting back to the point about the mission age, I think if you can. I think if the, if the if young men begin their mission before they start work or before they begin school, maybe they're they're more likely or less likely to forego a mission. And based on the missionary numbers, I, I I think there definitely are a lot more young men doing missions now than there were before the. Um, yeah, there was a big bump. Yeah. Right afterwards. So what about in the um, the Orthodox Jewish community? So. Uh, What's so fascinating about the Orthodox community is that there's this natural control group. Um, so for about half the Orthodox community, there's this significant age gap um, between the sexes at marriage. You have 18, 19-year-old young women marrying men who are 22, 23, or 24. And that's because the young men don't get married until they finish um, uh, attending yeshiva, which is a Jewish seminary, and maybe there's a year of religious study in Israel involved as well. So until they're done with their religious studies, they typically don't get married. However, there is a segment of the Orthodox community known as Hasidic Jews who don't do this. Basically, everybody gets married at age 18. And in the Hasidic community, there is no sugar crisis. Um, you know, the, and when you talk to Hasidic Jews about the supposed marriage crisis and this oversupply of women, that they have no idea what you're talking about, and that's because they are, they're, um, you know, the men and women are marrying at the same age. And I think in the non-Hasidic um, 
Orthodox community. I think some of the rabbis have realized what's going on, and they understand that this basically boils down to a demographic problem, that there are just more 18-year-old women than 22-year-old men, and they've been, they've been trying to encourage um, men to marry women their own age. Um, and there have been some incentives put in place to do that. I, I don't know how much success it's having, and my own take on this. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a highly religious person, and I'm sure an Orthodox rabbi would would offer up many reasons why my suggestion is is wrong. But it's my belief that it would be an act of kindness if um, Orthodox rabbis would uh, basically. Um, refuse to marry off women until they turn 20 or 21 or 22, because that would allow some of the the older women have yet to find their match to to get married, and it would it would and also there shouldn't be this this pressure on 17 and 18 year old young women or girls to appear marriageable. Um, and I think I think it would be healthier if if the community would just sort of say, look let's push back the age of marriage, particularly for women. Gotcha. So I know your book's primarily descriptive. You're describing some things that are going on, but you do make some prescriptions based off of the data, some suggestions. You know, as I was reading this, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father of a girl. She's only two. But when I was reading, I was like, I was getting like really depressed for her. It's like, man, that's, that's a rough world you're going into. And I, and I don't want her to have to go to these crazy extremes that you highlight in the book, you know, of having to like be really hyper sensitive about how you, how she looks and just kind of have to go through all this rigmarole with guys who are kind of flaky. Yeah. So, I mean, any advice for parents out there who have daughters um, that they can help prepare them for a fulfilling romantic life and eventually a family life without all the stress that a lot of women are facing today? Well, I mean, this is advice, I guess, for, for the women themselves as well as for the parents. And I think one of them would be to, um, uh, to kind of consider geography when you're, um, when you're settling down. So um, there are certain cities like Providence, Rhode Island, or New York City that are just particularly bad for women. Um, and there are other cities like Seattle or, or San Francisco or San Jose or San Diego where, where the demographics are more women-friendly. Now, the obvious caveat is that most people are not going to like plan their whole lives around gender ratios. So right. th- th- this is like advice, I think. You know, if you had a daughter who was just graduating from college this, this coming May or June, I-, I think that's the kind of thing you might want to might be on her checklist if she's marriage-minded. Uh, but again, I'm not assuming everybody is marriage-minded. Um, a- another thing to keep in mind would be... Um, if you do want to get married and you put a high priority on, on marriage and becoming a mother, um, there's an advantage to getting serious about dating earlier rather than later. So I, I, I guess I, I interviewed and I know a lot of women who decided to put all their, their focus on career in their 20s and early 30s and figured they would just meet somebody at, at 32 or 33. And, and I'm certainly not saying that that's a bad idea if if you're career-minded. I mean, it's a great idea if you're career-minded. The, the problem is that if you start out in a lopsided dating pool, um, the numbers move against you over time, which is why 
holding out becomes a bad strategy. So I assume you and most of your listeners probably played musical chairs as a child. Right. Yeah. So as you may recall, in the first round of musical chairs, I mean, there's one fewer chair than players. But but really in the first round, like everybody gets a chair except for the kid who's not paying attention, right? Yeah. Um, but in the last round of musical chairs, you have a 50% chance of losing the game. And th- that's kind of what happens in dating. So I'm just going to use round numbers. If you start out with a dating pool that has 140 women and 100 men, which is 1.4 women for every one man, it, it starts out lopsided, but it gets worse over time. So once half of those women, once 70 of those women marry 70 of the men, the, the remaining dating pool becomes 70 single women versus 30 single men, which is a greater than two to one ratio. So I, I think th- this explains why in cities like New York and LA and Chicago, we all know these fabulous women in their 30s who, who can't seem to meet a decent guy. And it's, it's not because they're not attractive or they're not good company or anything like that. It's because the demographics have moved against them. So, so this is a long-winded way of me saying, you know, get serious about dating a little bit younger. It doesn't mean you have to have kids. I mean, I got married in my when I was 24, and I didn't have kids until I was 30. Yeah. But um, and then finally, um, and this gets back to what we talked about earlier. I, I think we all need to be more open-minded when it comes to educational background. Um, you know, the 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 idea that that a college degree makes you a better husband or a better wife. I mean, I, I don't think that's true. Um, and I think we need, you know, we need to get past this idea that we can only date or marry people who are just like us. Um, and in fact, you know, not long after the book came out, I got a, um, I got a, a Twitter message from a woman who told me she met her husband of four or five years um, after she unchecked the college graduate box on her online dating site. Interesting. So yeah, it's just kind of help your daughters realize you can marry a, a firefighter who doesn't have a college degree, but he's a good solid dude. Exactly. Gotcha. So uh, as I was reading this too, uh, I mean, it seems like the man deficit, if you're a man, you're a young guy in your twenties or even, you know, in your forties, it sounds like, uh, it could be an unmitigated boon for you. If what you're looking for is just as many sexual relationships as you as possible. But it seems like the downside would be that there, there are guys who might be, you know, they want to settle down. They have that in mind, but they, it, it could cause them to be too picky and they eventually just don't settle down because they're trying to maximize wife, I guess, material? I don't know if it's kind of a dumb yeah, way to put I, it. Know, Is that a problem? With yeah, I, have a, I have a friend who wrote a, a much uh, talked about story for the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about this very topic. And he's a He's a, a a Manhattan man in his early thirty in his I'm sorry his, his early forties who, um, you know he's been enjoying the single life for a while but now all of his friends are married and he's kind of feeling lonely, <laughs> so so there, there is this kind of issue of of men who don't know when it's time to time to stop. So I mean, any suggestions for them? Just kind of they have to decide like okay I'm going to get married by this age and so they can get out of that loop of trying to maximize. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, you don't again, know. I, I, I tried. I tried carefully. I'm not assuming everybody wants to get married, right. or, every, or everybody's heterosexual, or right. I mean, certain, no doubt, 
marriage is not for everyone. You know, I mean, I, I acknowledge that. So some of these guys might be better off never getting married. Some women may be better off never getting married too. But I, I, I guess what I would say is that if you do want to get married someday um, and you're with somebody who truly makes you happy and who you know you're compatible with, um, you know, don't treat the relationship casually just because you know that there are many more fish in the sea. That makes perfect sense. Common sense advice there. So, John, this has been a really fascinating conversation. and we could, There's a lot more we could talk about, but I know you have to go. Um, where can people learn more about your book? Well, um, my, uh, my website is uh, dateonomics.com, D-A-T-E-O-N-O-M-I-C-S.com. Um, the book's available for sale at all your local um, booksellers, bookstores, online at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Um, if you Google me or the book title, you'll find speeches and interviews and news stories and the like. Awesome. Well, John Berger, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Brett. My guest today was John Berger. He's the author of the book, Datanomics, and you can find out more information about the book at datanomics.com, and you can find it on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. As always, appreciate your support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.